section sixteen of the works of the right honourable edmund burke volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the works of the right honourable edmund burke volume one by edmund burke section sixteen part five of a philosophical inquiry into the origin of our ideas of the sublime and beautiful section one of words natural objects affect us by the laws of that connection which providence has established between certain motions and configurations of bodies and certain consequent feelings in our mind painting effects in the same manner but with the superadded pleasure of imitation architecture effects by the laws of nature and the law of reason from which latter result the rules of proportion which make a work to be praised or censured in the whole or in some part when the end for which it was designed is or is not properly answered but as to words they seem to me to affect us in a manner very different from that in which we are affected by natural objects or by painting or architecture yet words have as considerable a share in exciting ideas of beauty and of the sublime as many of those and sometimes a much greater than any of them therefore an inquiry into the manner by which they excite such emotions is far from being unnecessary in a discourse of this kind section two the common effects of poetry not by raising ideas of things the common notion of the power of poetry and eloquence as well as that of words in ordinary conversation is that they affect the mind by raising in it ideas of those things for which custom has appointed them to stand to examine the truth of this notion it may be requisite to observe that words may be divided into three sorts the first are such as represent many simple ideas united by nature to form some one determinate composition as man horse tree castle etc these i call aggregate words the second are they that stand for one simple idea of such compositions and no more as red blue round square and the like these i call simple abstract words the third are those which are formed by an union an arbitrary union of both the others and of the various relations between them in greater or lesser degrees of complexity as virtue honour persuasion magistrate and the like these i call compound abstract words words i am sensible are capable of being classed into more curious distinctions but these seem to be natural and enough for our purpose and they are disposed in that order in which they are commonly taught and in which the mind gets the ideas they are substituted for i shall begin with the third sort of words compound abstracts such as virtue honour persuasion docility of these i am convinced that whatever power they may have on the passions they do not derive it from any representation raised in the mind of the things for which they stand 
as compositions they are not real essences and hardly cause i think any real ideas nobody i believe immediately on hearing the sounds virtue liberty or honour conceives any precise notions of the particular modes of action and thinking together with the mixed and simple ideas and the several relations of them for which these words are substituted neither has he any general idea compounded of them for if he had then some of those particular ones though indistinct perhaps and confused might come soon to be perceived but this i take it is hardly ever the case for put yourself upon analyzing one of these words and you must reduce it from one set of general words to another and then into the simple abstracts and aggregates in a much longer series than may be at first imagined before any real idea emerges to light before you come to discover anything like the first principles of such compositions and when you have made such a discovery of the original ideas the effect of the composition is utterly lost a train of thinking of this sort is much too long to be pursued in the ordinary ways of conversation nor is it at all necessary that it should such words are in reality but mere sounds but they are sounds which being used on particular occasions wherein we receive some good or suffer some evil or see others affected with good or evil or which we hear applied to other interesting things or events and being applied in such a variety of cases that we know readily by habit to what things they belong they produce in the mind whenever they are afterwards mentioned effects similar to those of their occasions the sounds being often used without reference to any particular occasion and carrying still their first impressions they at last utterly lose their connection with the particular occasions that gave rise to them yet the sound without any annexed notion continues to operate as before section three general words before ideas mr locke has somewhere observed with his usual sagacity that most general words those belonging to virtue and vice good and evil especially are taught before the particular modes of action to which they belong are presented to the mind and with them the love of the one and the abhorrence of the other for the minds of children are so ductile that a nurse or any person about a child by seeming pleased or displeased with anything or even any word may give the disposition of the child a similar turn when afterwards the several occurrences in life come to be applied to these words and that which is pleasant often appears under the name of evil and what is disagreeable to nature is called good and virtuous a strange confusion of ideas and affections arises in the minds of many and an appearance of no small contradiction between their notions and their actions there are many who love virtue and who detest vice and this is not from hypocrisy or affectation who notwithstanding very frequently act ill and wickedly in particulars without the least remorse because these particular occasions never came into view when the passions on the side of virtue were so warmly affected by certain words heated originally by the breath of others and for this reason it is hard to repeat certain sets of words though owned by themselves unoperative without being in some degree affected 
especially if a warm and affecting tone of voice accompanies them as suppose wise valiant generous good and great these words by having no application ought to be unoperative but when words commonly sacred to great occasions are used we are affected by them even without the occasions when words which have been generally so applied are put together without any rational view or in such a manner that they do not rightly agree with each other the style is called bombast and it requires in several cases much good sense and experience to be guarded against the force of such language for when propriety is neglected a greater number of these affecting words may be taken into the service and a greater variety may be indulged in combining them section four the effect of words if words have all their possible extent of power three effects arise in the mind of the hearer the first is the sound the second the picture or representation of the thing signified by the sound the third is the affection of the soul produced by one or by both of the foregoing compounded abstract words of which we have been speaking honour justice liberty and the like produce the first and the last of these effects but not the second simple abstracts are used to signify some one simple idea without much adverting to others which may chance to attend it as blue green hot cold and the like these are capable of affecting all three of the purposes of words as the aggregate words man castle horse etc are in a yet higher degree but i am of opinion that the most general effect even of these words does not arise from their forming pictures of the several things they would represent in the imagination because on a very diligent examination of my own mind and getting others to consider theirs i do not find that once in twenty times any such picture is formed and when it is there is most commonly a particular effort of the imagination for that purpose but the aggregate words operate as i said of the compound abstracts not by presenting any image to the mind but by having from use the same effect on being mentioned that their original has when it is seen suppose we were to read a passage to this effect the river danube rises in a moist and mountainous soil in the heart of germany where winding to and fro it waters several principalities until turning into austria and laving the walls of vienna it passes into hungary there with a vast flood augmented by the save and the drave it quits christendom and rolling through the barbarous countries which border on tartary it enters by many mouths in the black sea in this description many things are mentioned as mountains rivers cities the sea etc but let anybody examine himself and see whether he has been impressed on his imagination any pictures of a river mountain watery soil germany etc indeed it is impossible in the rapidity and quick succession of words in conversation to have ideas both of the sound of the word and of the thing represented besides some words expressing real essences are so mixed with others of a general and nominal import that it is impracticable to jump from sense to thought from particulars to generals from things to words in such a manner as to answer the purposes of life nor is it necessary that we should section five examples that words may affect without raising images i find it very hard to persuade 
several that their passions are affected by words from whence they have no ideas and yet harder to convince them that in the ordinary course of conversation we are sufficiently understood without raising any images of the things concerning which we speak it seems to be an odd subject of dispute with any man whether he has ideas in his mind or not of this at first view every man in his own form ought to judge without appeal but strange as it may appear we are often at a loss to know what ideas we have of things or whether we have any ideas at all upon some subjects it even requires a good deal of attention to be thoroughly satisfied on this head since i wrote these papers i found two very striking instances of the possibility there is that a man may hear words without having any idea of the things which they represent and yet afterwards be capable of returning them to others combined in a new way and with great propriety energy and instruction the first instance is that of mr blacklock a poet blind from his birth few men blessed with the most perfect sight can describe visual objects with more spirit and justness than this blind man which cannot possibly be attributed to his having a clearer conception of the things he describes than is common to other persons mr spence in an elegant preface which he has written to the works of this poet reasons very ingeniously and i imagine for the most part very rightly upon the cause of this extraordinary phenomenon but i cannot altogether agree with him that some improprieties in language and thought which occur in these poems have arisen from the blind poet's imperfect conception of visual objects since such improprieties and much greater may be found in writers even of a higher class than mr blacklock and who notwithstanding possess the faculty of seeing in its full perfection here is a poet doubtless as much affected by his own descriptions as any that reads them can be and yet he is affected with this strong enthusiasm by things of which he neither has nor can possibly have any idea further than that of a bare sound and why may not those who read his works be affected in the same manner that he was with as little of any real ideas of the things described the second instance is of mr saunderson professor of mathematics in the university of cambridge this learned man had acquired great knowledge in natural philosophy in astronomy and whatever sciences depend upon mathematical skill what was the most extraordinary and the most to my purpose he gave excellent lectures upon light and colours and this man taught others the theory of those ideas which they had and which he himself undoubtedly had not but it is probable that the words red blue green answer to him as well as the ideas of the colours themselves for the ideas of greater or lesser degrees of refrangibility being applied to these words and the blind man being instructed in what other respects they were found to agree or to disagree it was as easy for him to reason upon the words as if he had been fully master of the ideas indeed it must be owned he could make no new discoveries in the way of experiment he did nothing but what we do every day in common discourse when i wrote this last sentence and used the words every day in common discourse i had no images in my mind of any succession of time nor of men in conference with each other nor do i imagine that the reader will have any such ideas on reading it neither when i spoke of red or blue and green as well as refrangibility had i these several colours or the rays of light 
passing into a different medium and there diverted from their course painted before me in the way of images i know very well that the mind possesses a faculty of raising such images at pleasure but then an act of the will is necessary to this and in ordinary conversation or reading it is very rarely that any image at all is excited in the mind if i say i shall go to italy next summer i am well understood yet i believe nobody has by this painted in his imagination the exact figure of the speaker passing by land or by water or both sometimes on horseback sometimes in a carriage with all the particulars of the journey still less has he any idea of italy the country to which i propose to go or of the greenness of the fields the ripening of the fruits and the warmth of the air with the change to this from a different season which are the ideas for which the word summer is substituted but least of all has he any image from the word next for this word stands for the idea of many summers with the exclusion of all but one and surely the man who says next summer has no images of such a succession and such an exclusion in short it is not only of those ideas which are commonly called abstract and of which no image at all can be formed but even of particular real beings that we converse without having any idea of them excited in the imagination as will certainly appear on a diligent examination of our own minds indeed so little does poetry depend for its effect on the power of raising sensible images that i am convinced it would lose a very considerable part of its energy if this were the necessary result of all description because that union of affecting words which is the most powerful of all poetical instruments would frequently lose its force along with its propriety and consistency if the sensible images were always excited there is not perhaps in the whole aeneid a more grand and laboured passage than the description of vulcan's cavern in etna and the works that are there carried on virgil dwells particularly on the formation of the thunder which he describes unfinished under the hammers of the cyclops but what are the principles of this extraordinary composition tres embris torti radios tres nubis aqua sci i did durant rituli tres ignis et alitis austri fulgoros nunc terrificos sonitumque metumque miscabant operae flamisque sequacabus iris this seems to me admirably sublime yet if we attend coolly to the kind of sensible images which a combination of ideas of this sort must form the chimeras of madmen cannot appear more wild and absurd than such a picture three rays of twisted showers three of watery clouds three of fire and three of the winged south wind then mixed they in the work terrific lightnings and sound and fear and anger with pursuing flames the strange composition is formed into a gross body it is hammered by the cyclops it is in part polished and partly continues rough the truth is if poetry gives us a noble assemblage of words corresponding to many noble ideas which are connected by circumstances of time or place or related to each other as cause and effect or associated in any natural way they may be moulded together in any form and perfectly answer their end the picturesque connection is not demanded because no real picture is formed nor is the effect of the description at all the less upon this account what is said of helen by priam and the old men of his council is generally thought to give us the highest possible idea of that fatal beauty own nemesis troas chi ephconidus ac hios toward amphi genechi 
pollen chronon algia pashine inos athanatisi theus eus opa oiken they cried no wonder such celestial charms for nine long years have set the world in arms what winning graces what majestic mien she moves a goddess and she looks a queen pope here is not one word said of the particulars of her beauty nothing which can in the least help us to any precise idea of her person but yet we are much more touched by this manner of mentioning her than by those long and laboured descriptions of helen whether handed down by tradition or formed by fancy which are to be met with in some authors i am sure it affects me much more than the minute description which spenser has given of belphoebe though i own that there are parts in that description as there are in all the descriptions of that excellent writer extremely fine and poetical the terrible picture which lucretius has drawn of religion in order to display the magnanimity of his philosophical hero in opposing her is thought to be designed with great boldness and spirit humana ante oculus fede cum vita jacurit in terris oppressa gravi sub religione cae caput e caeli regionibus astendabat horribili super aspectu mortalibus instans primus gratias homo mortalis toleri contra est oculus ausis what idea do you derive from so excellent a picture none at all most certainly neither has the poet said a single word which might in the least serve to mark a single limb or feature of the phantom which he intended to represent in all the horrors imagination can conceive in reality poetry and rhetoric do not succeed in exact description so well as painting does their business is to affect rather by sympathy than imitation to display rather the effect of things on the mind of the speaker or of others than to present a clear idea of the things themselves this is their most extensive province and that in which they succeed the best section six poetry not strictly an imitative art hence we may observe that poetry taken in its most general sense cannot with strict propriety be called an art of imitation it is indeed an imitation so far as it describes the manners and passions of men which their words can express where anomi modus effort interpreta lingua there it is strictly imitation and all merely dramatic poetry is of this sort but descriptive poetry operates chiefly by substitution by the means of sounds which by custom have the effect of realities nothing is an imitation further than as it resembles some other thing and words undoubtedly have no sort of resemblance to the ideas for which they stand section seven how words influence the passions now as words affect not by any original power but by representation it might be supposed that their influence over the passions should be but light yet it is quite otherwise for we find by experience that eloquence and poetry are as capable nay indeed much more capable of making deep and lively impressions than any other arts and even than nature itself in very many cases and this arises chiefly from these three causes first that we take an extraordinary part in the passions of others and that we are easily affected and brought into sympathy by any tokens which are shown of them and there are no tokens which can express all the circumstances of most passions so fully as words 
so that if a person speaks upon any subject he can not only convey the subject to you but likewise the manner in which he is himself affected by it certain it is that the influence of most things on our passions is not so much from the things themselves as from our opinions concerning them and these again depend very much on the opinions of other men conveyable for the most part by words only secondly there are many things of a very affecting nature which can seldom occur in the reality but the words that represent them often do and thus they have an opportunity of making a deep impression and taking root in the mind whilst the idea of the reality was transient and to some perhaps never really occurred in any shape to whom it is notwithstanding very affecting as war death famine etc besides many ideas have never been at all presented to the senses of any men but by words as god angels devils heaven and hell all of which have however a great influence over the passions thirdly by words we have it in our power to make such combinations as we cannot possibly do otherwise by this power of combining we are able by the addition of well-chosen circumstances to give a new life and force to the simple object in painting we may represent any fine figure we please but we never can give it those enlivening touches which it may receive from words to represent an angel in a picture you can only draw a beautiful young man winged but what painting can furnish out anything so grand as the addition of one word the angel of the lord it is true i have here no clear idea but these words affect the mind more than the sensible image did which is all i contend for a picture of priam dragged to the altar's foot and there murdered if it were well executed would undoubtedly be very moving but there are very aggravating circumstances which it could never represent sanguine vedantum quos ipse sacra verat ignis as a further instance let us consider those lines of milton where he describes the travels of the fallen angels through their dismal habitation or many a dark and dreary vale they passed and many a region dolorous or many a frozen many a fiery alp rocks caves lakes fens bogs dens and shades of death a universe of death here is displayed the force of union in rocks caves lakes dens bogs fens and shades which yet would lose the greatest part of their effect if they were not the rocks caves lakes dens bogs fens and shades of death this idea or this affection caused by a word which nothing but a word could annex to the others raises a very great degree of the sublime and this sublime is raised yet higher by what follows a universe of death here are again two ideas not presentable but by language and an union of them great and amazing beyond conception if they may properly be called ideas which present no distinct image to the mind but still it would be difficult to conceive how words can move the passions which belong to real objects without representing these objects clearly this is difficult to us because we do not sufficiently distinguish in our observations upon language between a clear expression and a strong expression these are frequently confounded with each other though they are in reality extremely different the former regards the understanding the latter belongs to the passions the one describes a thing as it is the latter describes it as it is felt now as there is a moving tone of voice an impassioned countenance 
an agitated gesture which affect independently of the things about which they are exerted so there are words and certain dispositions of words which being peculiarly devoted to passionate subjects and always used by those who are under the influence of any passion touch and move us more than those which far more clearly and distinctly express the subject matter we yield to sympathy what we refuse to description the truth is all verbal description merely as naked description though never so exact conveys so poor and insufficient an idea of the thing described that it could scarcely have the smallest effect if the speaker did not call in to his aid those modes of speech that mark a strong and lively feeling in himself then by the contagion of our passions we catch a fire already kindled in another which probably might never have been struck out by the object described words by strongly conveying the passions by those means which we have already mentioned fully compensate for their weakness in other respects it may be observed that very polished languages and such as are praised for their superior clearness and perspicuity are generally deficient in strength the french language has that perfection and that defect whereas the oriental tongues and in general the languages of most unpolished people have a great force and energy of expression and this is but natural uncultivated people are but ordinary observers of things and not critical in distinguishing them but for that reason they admire more and are more affected with what they see and therefore express themselves in a warmer and more passionate manner if the affection be well conveyed it will work its effect without any clear idea often without any idea at all of the thing which has originally given rise to it it might be expected from the fertility of the subject that i should consider poetry as it regards the sublime and beautiful more at large but it must be observed that in this light it has been often and well handled already it was not my design to enter into the criticism of the sublime and beautiful in any art but to attempt to lay down such principles as may tend to ascertain to distinguish and to form a sort of standard for them which purposes i thought might be best effected by an inquiry into the properties of such things in nature as raise love and astonishment in us and by showing in what manner they operated to produce these passions words were only so far to be considered as to show upon what principle they were capable of being the representatives of these natural things and by what powers they were able to affect us often as strongly as the things they represent and sometimes much more strongly End of section sixteen